Alpha Wolf, Beta Human, Big Apple. Michael Andrews seems to have it all. He's a successful author and a minor celebrity living in Manhattan. It's a pretty big step up from his humble Canadian upbringing. Of course, his lycanthropy poses a bit of a challenge. After waking up from his latest night of howling at the moon, he's naked, he's got a bullet hole in his leg, and he has a sneaking suspicion he ran into another wolf last night. A wolf that was stomping all over his home turf. If he's going to make an evening talk show appearance to promote his latest book, he'll need to figure out what happened the previous night without letting his occasional heroics sidetrack him. Standing in his way are an agent, an ex-girlfriend, a variety of goons, and a fellow wolf encroaching on his territory. It's just another day in the life of a polite, small-town Canadian trying to stave alive in the Big Apple. That's from A Canadian Werewolf in New York by Mark Leslie, who is with me today. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, V, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is fun. This is my first interview of uh, 2021, so this is Ooh, exciting. quite exciting. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your inspiration for the Canadian Werewolf series, and also just a little bit about it for the people who haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet. Yeah, sure. So uh, this was initially um, based on a short story that I wrote, which I had meant to submit. I had submitted to an anthology, mm-hmm. and I think it was called The Monster Within or, or something like that. And And the editor was looking for stories that explored the human behind the monster. So okay. for any kind of you know monster-human uh, relationship, obviously werewolves are, are one of them. And I thought it would be neat to explore a story where you never see this guy as a wolf, but you see him trying to deal with the side effects of being a wolf. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wrote the story. I was like, okay, let's just throw him into a situation. He wakes up. He's got a bullet hole. What happened? And I didn't know what happened. I just started to write it. And how is he going to get clothes? Because where would he get clothes? And, and so <laughs> I, as I started to work that out, then I worked out who he was, why he was in Manhattan. And I never sold the story, but a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, Sean Costello, who is a Canadian uh, horror author, he read the story and he said, oh, this is great. What happens next? And I went, what do you mean what happens next? He, you know, (laughs) the little thing that he was trying to solve is solved and he's done. And he's like, no, but what about the other wolf? And what about like all this (laughs) other stuff? Because I was like, ah, that's that's left to the reader's, reader's imagination. So he was prompting me. And so... Uh, that that ten thousand word story is this time around, which which is available. You can download it free on virtually any ebook platform out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I put that out there as a standalone, just as a teaser. And then if people really resonate, I don't think you even learn his name, Michael Andrews, in the story because oh, it doesn't funny. matter. <laughs> and then uh, and then I was like, well, who who is he really? And then I dug into the details and I kind of re-explored that, um, you know, the opening sequence of of waking up naked, and that became the novel. A Canadian Werewolf in New York, which, as you probably guessed, is a play on that classic um, um, dark humor horror movie, American Werewolf in London. That's really fun. I I think it's interesting. There's so many books out there, uh, most of which I'm sure are fantastic, that really just delve into the the monster aspects you know the being a right. werewolf the the dynamics of the pack and and a lot of that's really fun but I do think it's neat to explore all of the challenges that that stuff poses you know in a lot of urban fantasy those interactions are already sort of cemented you know the the fae or the supernatural has already integrated to some extent into the world that we know but it's really interesting when that hasn't happened yet yeah, and so the other the other side effect. I, I'm a huge fan of of Marvel comics, and so I mean, I, I grew up on Spider Man, 
And, and so characters like Daredevil and Wolverine who had in heightened senses mm-hmm. of smell and, um, and touch and, 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 and uh, auditory senses. So I incorporated that into the side effects that would still be running through his human side. So Michael wakes up, he's naked, he's got to figure out how to get places, but he ends up finding himself in situations. He's kind of a reluctant hero. He has these extra powers. He's a little bit stronger than the average person. He can smell and sense things a bit better than most people, a lot better, more like a canine. And then he uses these powers for good. This goes back to the with great power comes great responsibility that Stan Lee taught me um, in Spider-Man comics. And so that keeps getting him into trouble because he's supposed to get somewhere, but he sees someone who needs help and and he will not, he will not stop uh, or he will not keep going. He'll stop to help them. Mm-hmm. And and I think and that was fun because the other thing I had to do for the book is the book takes place over the course of sun, you know, sunrise to sunset. Right. So you never get to see him as a wolf, except in these flashbacks. So there's flashbacks. He has these just because he can't quite remember what it was like when he was a wolf. He just has these weird, you know, uh, visual auditory things that come back to him in fleeting glimpses. Maybe he recognizes a smell and that kind of bothers him. And he believes that it's one of the reasons why he's still sane, because were he to remember what it was like to turn into a wolf? Like, think about this, a six foot three man turning into a a different kind of beast with a different bone structure. I mean, that's got to be painful, right? Yeah, It's like this childbirth uh, that you're, you're consciously living through. So, so his mind shuts down and he doesn't remember uh, the, uh, the transformation. So that's part of the, I think that's part of the mystique here is he doesn't really know like the Hulk, in right. the original uh, Hulk comic books, he doesn't know what the monster is up to when he's not, you know, when he's not human. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what he may have done, even even as he's a noble person, you know, and, and has these morals, what he may have done as an animal and whether his mind and his values stay the same. Yeah, and that's interesting. Although I got to explore it because I did a lot of research on wolves and it's like, no, wolves don't kill for sport. Humans do. Right. But <laughs> <Of course. laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like they spell, they, they kill to defend right. uh, and protect. Uh, they kill for food um, and, and for territory, but not for sport, not for fun or the pleasure of, of the hunt. Mm-hmm. Well, that and that actually plays right into one of my other questions. We're seeing a lot more now people realizing that the the alpha tropes and the pack dynamic tropes that a lot of the urban fantasy especially the the shifter romance type yes. um you know there's there's a lot of very interesting dynamics going on there but <laughs> we're seeing that a lot of the, the science that those uh tropes are based in is not actually really how true wolf packs in the wild um in, in, interact with with each other and then also with with different packs how have you kind of integrated that in into your fiction? Uh, I think I've been, well, they're very they're, they're still social creatures. They're very right. social, which is which is amazing. And um, I guess uh, I, the, the way I integrated it was uh, I had I had a, I have a scene. So Michael Andrews is is the main character, and he's this. I, I'm from Canada, so obviously a lot of things based on me being the, the small town country bumpkin going to the big city and and that you know fish out of water uh, mm-hmm. thing. But um, but he is very much a beta human. He's very much a pushover. He's mm-hmm. very much uh, you know it was similar to maybe Peter Parker in the Spider-Man comics. Right. And 
And I have a scene where his ex-girlfriend shows up and, and he just breaks down and blubbers and falls to his knees because he just, you know, he's, 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 he's kind of a loser, uh, desperately wants her back. And I had a reader who's like, what do you mean this alpha wolf was going to behave like that? That's disgusting. I, how dare. And, and, and that actually set me up for that, you know, the, the, the blurb. Well, he's an alpha, hu- uh, an alpha wolf, but he's a beta human. Right. And I realized that, um, I realized that that was that was the hook (laughs) was was the fact that, um, no, he doesn't have to be alpha. He doesn't have to be dominant. He can be he can be that human and still and still be a hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 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 exploring that in a little bit more detail and and then letting the wolf and letting the wolf be the 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 one that seems to have confidence. (laughs) And, And he's just like unsure of everything, even though, you know, he has reason to believe that, you know, he can. He can negotiate things because he can smell when people are lying to him and all of those things that you get, you know, when you're, you know, um, I, I, a lot of stuff is based on behavior of uh, the two dogs uh, in our house, right? <laughs> <laughs> like they, they pick up on things. They can tell when people are anxious, right? They, yeah. they, they seem to have this heightened awareness because they're very social creatures. There's, there's two of them in the room with me right now because they can't not be with us, right? That's when the, we're, when we're home. That's too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really neat how you made the quote monster side of this person be really the the less monstrous. Wolves don't kill for sport. They they're very social. They're very aware of one another whereas humans are a little bit more cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, and so ironically I use that in in the in the the, the bad guy in the story. Mm-hmm. The other wolf is a wolf who is fully conscious as a wolf and human and can basically not like change at will because they have full power over it. So, but with that consciousness of the change, mm-hmm. that's kind of driven them a little mad. Yeah. Right. So they, um, uh, and, and the human is what controls the wolf. So therefore the wolf is evil right. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, humans, because as a wolf, it kills for sport. Right. Um, and, and as a human, it does the same thing. Whereas Michael, when he's a wolf, even in, in some of the flashbacks, you get the sense that, he uh, is a little bit more gentle <laughs> than, you know. Again, more more like a traditional wolf, right? He's 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 not going to kill, uh, except to protect, um, you know, his 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 tribe or his 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 family or or, or those uh, those members of his community. I really enjoy it when people put spins on these really old school um, genre conventions because that. You know, there, there's so much to pull from, from our our understanding of the world and our understanding of science and, and each other. It's just, it's great when we get those new spins. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun when you get to explore it because I, um, I was leery about going into, I was leery about writing about any traditional monsters because there's so much history like vampires and werewolves and things like that. And, and I was leery about, about going there because I'm like, well, what can I do? Right. Uh, and I realized, oh, you can make your own uh, rules, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I try to adhere to some of the rules, but um, I think one of my biggest challenges, of course, is when I with the days that I set them, is um, is I, I have to go and look at a specific time block and go, okay, if he turns into a wolf when it's more than seventy nine percent of a of a full moon, 
when when is his cycle right. <laughs> and how does how does he negotiate that to understand oh i can't go on this trip because i need to be somewhere where i can safely go turn into a wolf i need to stash some clothes so when i wake <laughs> up uh i can go find some clothes right yeah. and 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 that that's been a lot of fun is is the sort of the dark humor involved in uh, and I think I have this in, in, in book one and a half stowaway where I have him waking up in Central Park, but his clothes are, it, it rained the night before. Because when I looked at the a calendar of what, what it was like, oh, it was raining that night. Mm-hmm. So his clothes in the bag got wet. And so when he puts his track pants on, there's a stain that looks like he wet himself. And so <laughs> he has the embarrassment of looking like he soiled his, himself. And, yeah. and then, of course, the people that make fun of him uh, along the way, or, or he can sense because he can tell that they're. They're, they're laughing at them, yeah. uh, even if they didn't say anything. So I had a lot of fun with those those little nuances of, I guess, human human social behavior mm-hmm. related to having the uh, you know having to deal with the side effects, and having the knowledge of how people are feeling or or uh, what thing, things they're saying that you, they think you're out of your shot. Right. I I really enjoy the. Um the integration of like higher tech or more modern conveniences with supernatural creatures. Uh, like you, you were saying he has to keep track of, of his cycle. And I'm just thinking of like all of those, those period and mood tracking apps that we have. And it's like, oh my no, God, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. That's, that's how a, a werewolf would, would use it. And just the, the actual merging of those two worlds, as opposed to like, Oh yeah, we're, we're, you know, together and we know of one another or, or maybe we don't, but, but we're still separate, you know, I think think a lot of really cool things come from the actual merging. Oh my God. You just reminded (laughs) me, like, why doesn't he have an app? Why doesn't he have an app for the cycle? Right. So like, that could be something I introduced in the next book is like, Oh yeah, this is like, Oh my God, this makes my life so much easier. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the thing. I, I found a couple mood tracking apps and it's like, no, this is especially during a time when it's hard to keep track of time, like in, in the year of 2020. You know? <laughs> so this is really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's fun. You have a ton of work. You've done a lot of short fiction and a lot of work, both in urban fantasy and horror, but also in nonfiction. So tell me a little bit about how your process changes between those two, like very distinct genres. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I still do a lot of research for fiction, but I think with the fiction, you know, 90% of the research never gets seen. Right. Whereas when I'm writing nonfiction, the majority of the research gets used because that's the story. I think, I think the, the trick is even in nonfiction. So I do a lot of true ghost story books. Right. Um, even in a true ghost story, there still has to be a, a, a story arc, a beginning, a middle and end. So I think one of the challenges of nonfiction is you can't just take the story and and lay the facts out. You have to build suspense. You have to make people potentially care for the character. Otherwise, you know, the creepy thing or the ghost or the spooky thing that scared people isn't scary unless you're able to help the reader put themselves in the shoes of the person it happened to. Yeah. So there's a commonality, I think, in storytelling structure, but but the writing is a lot different. And um and I think, yeah, the, I, I think I do obviously research more for nonfiction, but mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. I think I think one of the challenges that I run into is sometimes I'm writing something for fiction, so it's like this ghost story based on this tale, and I use it for a nonfiction, uh, you know, chapter in a book. But then I can take the premise mm-hmm. and use that in a fictional story. What if a haunted mirror? 
like that existed? And what if this mirror could not only see the ghost that's haunting the mirror, but any other ghost that's in the room? Mm -hmm. And what if a collector put a whole bunch of different objects in a room, what would happen? Would they fight like a bunch of kids who had to share the same bedroom, you know, or, or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> again, I always, I always go for the dark humor because mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be a low hanging fruit for me, <laughs> but, but that comes from like, there, there's some short stories that I've written that were specifically based on research I'd done for true ghosts, you know, like true hauntings and things like that. That's really neat. Was there, was there one particular haunting that, that stuck with you the most out of, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've read countless, countless anecdotes, but was there one that really got under your skin in a way that, that the others didn't? I'm, I'm kind of yeah. a ghost story fan, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on uh, George Nury's uh, Coast to Coast, which is uh, syndicated across the across North America on like mm -hmm. 600 stations. And it was from midnight till two in the morning uh, Eastern, uh, my time zone. And so I remember... I was doing the show and we were talking about one of my previous books, maybe Haunted Libraries and Bookstores, Tomes of Terror. And 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 then they, at the towards the last half hour of the show, uh, they, they had people who would call in and share their own ghost stories. Ooh. And I remember I was researching for haunted hospitals that I had. I was in the process of writing it at the time. And somebody came on from uh, from Alberta, Canada, on the show who shared a story about having worked in a institution, uh, of, uh, an asylum. Mm -hmm where there was a woman who was basically there her entire life. And there's this creepy moment where he walks into the room and sees her basically still asleep. And yet she was standing about two feet off the floor with her feet against the wall and her hair hanging down and like weird things like that. And I remember he shared the story on the call and I was sitting there by myself at two in the morning on the phone, like most of the lights off in my apartment mm -hmm. and terrified just terrified about what was beyond the light yeah. that was just surrounding me, like the desk light that I had uh, around me in, in the room I was in. And I just remember just how that chilled me to the bone. Now, of course, I, I reached out to the producer of the show and said, oh my God, I got to get a hold of this guy because I got to <laughs> use that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, uh, and it still chills me when, when I think about just the, the fundamental way that I was I felt the physical chill and I could see, it was almost like, almost like a scene out of The Exorcist or something. Yeah. And, and the fact that this was being relayed to me, you know, in real time, uh, well, in real time on the radio, you know, 20 second delay or whatever, but um, it was just, it was just this really intense. And, and I've only had that one other time when I was writing Haunted Hamilton and I was, and it was newspaper articles out of archives. And it was a picture of this ghost, this uh, woman, a female ghost that was with, you know, uh, black eyes, almost faceless, um, just this scowl on her face. When a woman, this woman woke up and she looked up and this, this ghost was floating just a couple feet above her head. And I remember every time I closed my eyes, seeing that yeah. and being terrified and trying to sleep in my chair because I didn't want to have to turn the lights off and then go upstairs and go to bed. <laughs> it was just like, there, there are things like that that just stick with me that while I'm researching is when I terrify myself and I go, I'm hoping this is going to be a good chapter then. It's amazing how when you try to really capture a feeling for a reader you know it, it, even even if you're really early on in in your process it's like you you have to tap into some of those those emotions on a very visceral level in order to transfer i mean maybe maybe that depends on on the writer maybe some authors don't don't have to do that but i i definitely feel like you do 
Oh, yeah, it's important. I, I honestly think if I don't feel it, then how can I expect a reader to ever feel it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I So I, I used to work on a psych ward um, for, for five years. Ooh. And I worked the night shift. Oh. And I have a lot of very, you know, I'm, I definitely believe in the supernatural. I, I think that there are a lot of things we, we don't understand. Um, I don't always subscribe to like the true apparition type, right. type theories, but there were some things that I saw, which like, I, I can't, I can't explain that. There was, there was a woman who, um, we'd, we'd see her in, in her nightgown in the room that, that she passed in, um, for months after she passed. And you know, just just out of the corner of your eye, you yeah. would see a, a you know shorter, larger woman with, with this floral nightgown, and just be like, "Whoa, okay." And then and then it would just disappear. But nothing so, um, I like disturbing as as that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 and, it, and that's the thing that makes you stand there and wonder, right? What did I just see, mm-hmm. and why? Right. Why did I just see that? Why did like why was this visible to me now? Mm-hmm. And not at other times. Like there are all kinds of things that uh, allow me to ask a lot. I mean, a lot of a lot of times I'm asking more questions. I have no answers, but uh, I just know that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies, as Hamlet so eloquently put it. (laughs) Well, and those are the the questions you get to answer when you're actually working it into fiction. Yeah, sometimes you have an answer. Oh, it's it's a ghost. <laughs> He's an actor. He's playing the role the role of the ghost. <laughs> it makes makes you feel a little bit better. Makes it easier to to walk upstairs in the dark, I guess. <laughs> well, the, yeah, and you can always have happy endings in your fiction, right? You can't always guarantee that in reality. That's true. Yes, as I think we're all finding that out much faster than we usually do. Yeah. Now, just sort of stepping away from the the fiction and the the process you you've worked with uh kobo developing kobo writing life um, which is an incredible tool what were some of the things you learned you know as writers we we learn a lot about our our own processes and you know the the conventions of, of our genres and so forth but what were some of the things that you learned working on that tool and with kobo that were unexpected that, that, that you didn't expect to learn through that that project. Oh, it's interesting. There's so many things because I think just having been a bookseller my entire life, <laughs> the the thing that I think we forget as as writers, whether you know our books are traditionally published or if if we've self published them, is we forget that the main reason that those bookstores exist, that Kobo exists, or any any bookstore in general, <laughs> is to connect reader and writer. Right. That's they're they're there to facilitate this dance between reader and writer, and the things that are important for you to do as an author is to look for what problem does your book solve right. for the retailer, and the problem it solves is for people looking for this kind of read because they've read this, that, and the other thing, and that's called comp titles in the industry. Mm-hmm. That is so critical because people tend to want to know the familiar. So, for example, I, I mentioned one of my fiction titles, Stowaway, right. which is the sort of the next uh, adventure for Michael Andrews. And and I basically say for anyone, well, what's it about? It's like, well, it's Logan meets planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> and so even if you haven't watched the, the, the movie Logan, the Wolverine movie, or planes, trains, and automobiles, you probably have an idea what both of them are about. Right. 
you know, one's, one's a comedy about trying to get somewhere and, and not being able to get there. And then the other one is, is, you know, a, a, a man and a young child trying to protect a child and traveling. Mm-hmm. Right. So you combine those two elements and that's, that's how you do it. And so I think providing retailers with that sort of quick, even if it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it allows them to understand the familiar, but it's got a new tw- a twist on it, like you know, snakes on a plane or, or whatever. <laughs> that kind of weird that it worked for some for some pitch. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's an important element that a lot of writers f- forget and trying to and trying to um, not dumb it down, but try to 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 bring it to a level where more people who are probably more familiar with songs or TV shows or movies because a lot more people have watched them than have read books. Uh, and that that just really helps them understand who the right reader is. Uh, that that's one of the things I think that was beneficial. That is so important. And I I remember seeing a discussion sort of recently, maybe within the past year or two, where people were criticizing the use of films and songs and poetry as comp titles for for novels. And, right. And on one hand, you know, as far as tone and pacing and and so forth go, you know, it it, it definitely does vary. And it's good to have have another novel as as a comp title, but it really is story at the end of the day, and that's what the viewers or the readers are looking for, um, you know. And, and maybe when when you're pitching to actual industry professionals, it's just sort of a different different thing. But it really is just the story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 when you think about it that way, and that's the other thing is you're not necessarily competing with other books. Right. Uh, although you are, you're, you're competing with other pastimes, uh, you know, binge watching on Netflix, TV shows, uh, video games, uh, doom scrolling on Facebook, whatever, whatever it is, you're competing for that entertain, we'll call it entertainment time. Uh, and it is story. And, and I learned that about myself this year, having done a lot of parody videos and parody music videos, and just really goofy little uh, stupid dad joke films, like two minute films, right. that I realized that I, I, I consider myself a writer, but ultimately I'm a creator and I'm a storyteller and the medium changes. Like right now I'm, I'm sort of a storyteller in an audio format right. with you. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a, a, a visual storyteller where I have stupid dad jokes that I share on my Instagram feed. Right. And so I can be a storyteller and book is just one of the things that I do. Yeah. That's that's really wonderful. It's it's something that I've realized later in life. I grew up um, not really allowed to watch almost any film or or TV. You know, there there were some exceptions. Um, I was able to watch yeah. Cosmos and and Nature and things like that. But I had this very, um, I'd say, derogatory almost view of film and video game and. Recently, I've come to realize, no, that's just one more incredible medium for storytelling and for immersion and for experiencing empathy for a whole group of, of people or, or situations that I might not have exposed myself to before. And since I've sort of switched over to that type of thinking, I feel like it's really helped my, my creativity and I can really get into my mindset in a different way than I used to. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. That that is that is awesome that you you discovered that. Yeah, I mean it's a little little late, but <laughs> never too late. Yeah. Never, like I say, when you when you got an idea for writing, never too late. So why don't you tell us what's next for you? So uh, I've got a nonfiction book for uh, writers called Wide for the Win. It's basically embracing all of the options for publishing. Oh, good. Traditional publishing, ebook, uh, audio, all the all the things. 
Uh, that's coming out in March. And then um, in, at the end of February, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles is the next full-length book for my Can- Canadian werewolf. I, again, I had to do a play on a familiar title because that seems to be the motif for that brand because there's a little bit of humor in it. I, I love punny titles. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I like a lot of uh, sort of silly humor. So that's that sounds fun. Well, that's exciting. So where where can people find you and your upcoming work? Uh, you can find more about me over at marklesley.ca, and that's where you'll find access to all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all the all the places from there. Yeah, you, you have an incredible website. I was I was browsing it earlier. Thank yeah. you. So much to find there, for sure. Thank you so much for joining me and for telling me a little bit more about your incredible work and your process. Oh, thank you. It was a, it was a delight to get to chat with you. This has been the Amphibian Press Podcast. I'm V.S. Holmes, and with me today was Mark Leslie. Thank you so much for listening.